Welcome to the Tone Duff Sessions, hosted by Bruce Duff, author of The Smell of Death, musician, producer, and artist manager. The conversations are recorded at Tone Duff Studio in Hollywood, California, and are a feature of Rare Bird Radio. All right, well, it's uh, 2017. We're starting up with uh, the Tone Duff Sessions again. Got a good one for you today. It's uh, our good friend Mike Watt from Pedro, and Mike Watt from a million different things. I have to say, Mike, I was reading uh, about you today, and, you know, I've been a fan forever, but there's so much music you've made that I'm not aware of. The stuff you've done and collaborations with yeah. so many people, it's just incredible. I, I don't know how you keep it straight. Uh, yeah, well... It's trippy because uh, I didn't start that way. I got the music to be with one guy, you know, D. Boone. Sure. And uh, I lost him. And uh, I thought no one really wanted me to hear me play without him. But it seems some people did. And I got, I manned up, grew up parents, and then started playing with other people. Yeah. Was that, I mean, I never even really thought about that. I mean, of course, you went from. From the Minutemen to Firehose, sort of keeping that. Yeah, that it was core. kind of the same thing, yeah. But uh, from there, it Still branched same, out a lot. Same drummer, Georgie. Yeah. And basically, I mean, there are different bands. D. Boone and Edward were very different. But you write me and Georgie that that uh, kind of intense uh, rhythm section <laughs> competition. <laughs> was that? Uh, I mean, everybody thinks of you as the master, but was that a thing you had to, you know, psychologically go through to learn how to play with other people again, or if, to begin with? Well, you know, to begin with, it's playing with D. Boone, right? He, and he jumps out of a tree on me. And his mother tells me, I'm going to be the bass player. And we're 12, and I don't even know what bass is. So, And in those days, too, you must remember early 70s, uh, you copy records. Yeah. You don't try to write songs. I, I didn't learn about that until the movement. So it's all about just something to do after school. In fact, his ma, I know. Because Arena Rock, did you go to those gigs and think, you're going to be playing here? Sure. Seemed a little out of reach. <laughs> yeah. But... Hang out with your friend, kind of like building models together. Look, kind of looks like the real thing, but <laughs> never even thought. Of, I didn't even know about club culture, going to a little pad until the movement. You know, so many th- way. Uh, yeah, we were '76, graduating high school, and when we find out about it, we the first one was the bags, and uh, well, the, the Georgie. Now we don't meet him till high school, and he, Georgie is an incredible uh, cat, uh, surfer. Uh, who wants to quit surfing and uh, play drums? In fact, so you got that Keith Moon shirt uh, of on. Of course. He buys Happy Jack right. and some headphones like you're wearing. Yeah. And actually, you're in Georgie mode now. If you just had some sticks. <laughs> if only I could play like Keith Moon, I could, I could pull it and off. Right? That's how he learned himself. And he had a shed where he was building his surfboards. And he said, uh, we're changing. This is going to be a practice pad. And for me and D. Boone, who never you know, lived in Proj and stuff, never had... Uh, place to play with a drummer even in that bedroom right his brother's like playing on a snare drum and uh, the the paperback book on the snare drum is the kick drum <laughs> awesome. and then the little stand that holds the tv that's a right. symbol <laughs> okay somewhere. so yeah yeah but i wish we would have really started instead of copying the song well, but whatever whatever but that's it was how you whatever learn. it was yeah. that's how you got to kind of figure out what your that's how is. we kind of knew a little more but on the other hand that's why we looked up to bands like urinals who just they didn't even know who, who's going to play what. They just start the band. And we thought that was so incredible. We, in fact, we felt a little taint. <laughs> and so it's one of the reasons why we tried extreme things like tiny songs and 
Actually, that was an RIDE that we got from an England band called Wire. Sure. <laughs> but it was these things. I thought uh, if we did little things like that, they wouldn't hear so much Blue Oyster Cult and Creeds. <laughs> but we were talking on the way over here um, that you guys, I suppose you would consider like a second wave of punk bands, but still yeah. you were kind of like the last of the bands just came up with the thing, ran with it. Whereas yeah. it seemed like the wave after that, it was more, you know, regimented, this is what punk rock is, yeah. and you had to have a certain look, play a certain speed, and everything yeah. became very uh, regimented. Well, we're very much educated by the first wave, which is not really a style of music. It's more of a state of mind. Sure, and, a philosophy. And, yeah, you could tell that a lot of people, some were anti-rock and roll. They were artist people. Uh, being provocative, we were talking about Joanna Went. Sure, that was just as valid as weirdos, as uh, or germs, or uh, the first band that could uh, probably sell out the whiskey. The Screamers, who didn't have a guitar, right? You know, a nervous chanter. I mean, it was all over the place. But those people that learned us, it, it, that scene kind of dropped out. And then what we were left with the early '80s and the young people, and uh, you know, it was more social. I think these guys were still in school. They had to. Fight with jocks and yeah, and maybe they couldn't invest as much in art. Also, I have to say this, uh, in a way, we are reacting against our arena rock roots. These cats, the younger cats, it was their first music. They weren't really reacting against. So, it's just a different dynamic. Yeah, and well, also, it always ping pong. So, like those guys yeah. you're talking about, were almost reacting against. The original punk rockers. It was already something yeah. to rebel against. It's funny, you know, we were talking about John Doe in his book, right? He had a bunch of us write a chapter, and Jack wrote a chapter. I yeah. haven't read Jack's okay. chapter yet, which well, I ja should force myself to do, because he's always is, amazing. Bottom line is, why are you blaming us? It's your fault. you got to say no. Yeah. But, but, you know, of course, and even John asked me, he said, you know, Mike, when you're writing your chapter, maybe touch uh, on the knuckleheads. <laughs> touch up a little bit and, uh, but you know, when he, I found out Jack was writing a chapter, I said, "Don't worry." It'll I've get all, uh, yeah, I always respected him, and you know, the guy's still a hard charger. I think he's going to make another TSOL record. But no, in those I think days, it's done actually. I oh, think really? it is done. Yeah, Paul but Ross things change so quick in those days over such little time that nowadays we were talking about this in the ride over too. Now things don't change for many years. Like you were saying, last twenty-five years, yeah. it's almost the same music. You kind of, yeah. And I, I want, yeah, I, I'm not sure why that is, because it, you know, when I was a kid, even before the punk thing, it was just like, I mean, the difference in the Beatles with in one year, like, oh, wow, yeah. how did they think of all this new stuff? Yeah, like yeah. just thing, and then everyone would try to keep up. So the sure. it, like, well, we got to outdo that. So it's like a big. Everybody's it's everybody was really proud to to think of something new or use a different instrument or play in a different time signature. Just do something weird that no one had thought of before. And nowadays it's I almost feel like, especially with more popular music, it's like, let's try to keep it normal, let's keep in a major key, let's keep four four, easy yeah. tempo and also remember those homogenous. days too uh, in a certain sense, especially if you're a businessman, rock and roll was becoming very successful. Mm -hmm. And arena rock. I think arena rock changed a lot of things. For sure, it was alienating us, sitting far away. Yeah, put a big space between everybody. And, and you know, a light show, and it's all theatrics, and the songs kind of had to get more simple in a way because of the. You're playing sports arenas, you're playing stuff that wasn't even designed for uh, uh, music. Going to a club, you know, and actually seeing the bass 
had bigger strings. <laughs> or, or else Pat Smear would be talking to you right after you got done playing. I mean, that did not happen at an arena gig. No. It was just a whole different thing. But how long could that last? And uh, I don't know. It just seems incrementally things were changing so quick, and then it plateaued out again. But that, that, that period, right, 76 to 80, it's pretty intense. Yeah, definitely. And, and then a guy like Jack, who's maybe four or five years younger than me, it's a whole nother remember like when we were in a high school a guy in junior high that's a whole nother world yeah you get less younger that don't mean I anything mean, you know it's like you don't want to be into what your older brother's into because that's almost like as bad as being into what your parents are into so or your younger brother yeah. like that's with me D Boone and exactly uh, his brother Joe was way into the uh, Jethro Tull and the Todd Rundgren and at the time just you just couldn't do it because things that weren't even musical reasons. They're kind of so... so oh, yeah, yeah. Pro the progenitor, look, progenitor issues. The pants they wear, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to ask you, first off, uh, Tonight Show, you're doing it with the Second Man. It's uh, yeah. been a while since there's been a Second Man album out. What's the material going to be? The Second or? Man. The Second Man was put together for the second opera. Hence the name. Right. They're both uh, Longshoreman and Pedro, Jerry Trebitich, Pete Mazich. I actually got to know them by other people. I never picked them. I, after Firehose, I wanted to practice every day, so I put together a practice band that just uh, interpreted Madonna works. No ideas of gigs, just I wanted to move my fingers. And these guys, I end up, they're from an Italian Slav wedding band in Pedro. They weren't really from our movement. Uh, probably the closest was here in uh, K-Rock, uh, Mike Ness. Sure. You know, singing. <laughs> <laughs> like Joe Strummers, <laughs> no, no, no offense to no, no, either no, of those I get guys, it, I get it, I get it. but neither expect uh, uh, disrespect to my guys either. Yar, what's yar? You know, you come like I remember Raymond Pettibone first playing me John Coltrane. I thought he was an older punk rocker. I didn't know he was dead. He'd been dead for like ten years, yeah. and I, I, I grew up Navy housing. I, did, I just didn't know bebop. Well, you know, you get exposed to what you get exposed to, and sometimes it's it's hard. You know, if you if the people you're hanging with don't know about That's stuff right. like John That's Coltrane, right. how are you going to? So know they could say freedom of choice, but can you really choose if you don't know? Yeah, you got to you got to got to go out. <laughs> got to be presented options. And, but then also when you when you kind of learn about a few things, yeah. you start. Well, well, let me dig into this. Oh yeah. wait, who's this guy on this album that yeah. wrote the song? Who's he? And, you know, Actually, I got to go credit a lot of cats in the movement like Raymond Pettibone, Don Bowles. A lot of these cats, you could tell they maybe socially didn't fit in too well with other people. And uh, But, man, they were deep on knowing stuff. They were deep cats. Uh, you could tell they got, got into stuff. and Wanted to learn it and, top to bottom. And, you know, all I, I came from Virginia, right, when I was nine years old. My pop was a sailor, and it was closer to Vietnam. All I knew was Pedro. You know, Port is working sure. in town and good cats there, but didn't have these knowledge things that I met from people. And remember, uh, what are we, 150 towns, SoCal? So all of a sudden you have a couple of, all, all of them meeting in Hollywood. Right. And man, for me, it was like the, and D. Boone, Georgie, huge, mind-blowing experience just meeting the people. People asked me about the old days, and it was about people, man. They just opened us up and exposed us. And then the records, bands we never saw, right, from England. There was a record store in Long Beach called Zeta London. This guy Mike and his mom ran it. I guess they brought in imports during the hippie days, you know, so they had the connects with the early little labels over there. And So we got to hear these and never even saw the band. We'd pick them by, we didn't even know if we'd pick them by the band names. Or When Slash came out, it helped a little bit because... 
uh, what was his name? Ranking Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, Jeffrey Lee. Kick, yeah. And Kick Boy. Kick Boy Face. Yeah, Kick Boy. Yeah, those guys would. Uh, but awesome. they would turn you on sure, to stuff that you how. didn't know. But it was also kind of neat not knowing and just picking something because they're called the Pop Group. <laughs> Why would you call your band that? Yeah. Whoa. This yeah, is Captain I mean, Beefheart mixed with Parliament. Why can't records, you do that? How many records did you buy based on what the cover looked That's like? That's what I'm saying because you, nobody wrote about yeah, it. And you had and cream it a little bit, but they were the only one. And then when. Claude and uh, Jeffrey and uh, Altu a little bit. Yeah. He was more with the, the hardcore. But, man, uh, the cats who wrote those, those early issues of Slash was intense. And then coming up here and meeting the people and being there at the gigs is huge education. Gerardo, you know, the uh, uh, nervous gender guys. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, no one was afraid to talk. No one had hang-ups, man. It was, and that was such trippy coming from arena rock. Again, I think, you know, like a farmer, if he wants a good crop, he uses a lot of manure. I think the arena rock, <laughs> it got us good manured up. <laughs> but, yeah, I get it. But I think also when you would go to these gigs, uh, it's a smaller crowd. People are kind of doing something a little bit more far out. And yeah, if you're yeah, there... Totally. And are interested, they're they're thrilled. Like, all oh, right, somebody's someone's catching on to what we're doing. Right. This is great. Let's talk to this guy. Right. So I, I end up doing operas, and then my second opera is about this sickness that almost kills me in two thousand. And uh, I'm gonna get. I lived, so I'm gonna get something out of it. I'm gonna make a story. I'm gonna use. I'm gonna use uh, Dante's uh, Divine Comedy as mm-hmm. a parallel. So the hell's gonna be the inferno. The healing's gonna be purgatory, and playing the bass and doing the kayak. And the bicycle that'll be paradise. And I get these guys from this, the Madonabies, they were called. End up finally doing gigs because uh, Vag had this thing at the garage. I think it was Virgil and Melrose. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. I, I, I think um, Berlin now. But he's bitching cat, man. And, and he just loved the band. So we actually started doing gigs. But it was mainly for Prack. And then I thought they were the per- got to understand this, too, when we were uh, boys, me and D. Boone, Sister Ray. Sure. I mean, there's Keith Emerson, and that's big, but man, the keyboard on Sister Ray. But man, do you remember in those days how much keyboards cost? No one we knew in Pedro had one. They were well, never mind how much it cost. How much, how difficult they were to move up the <laughs> stairs. Like, oh my God. You see that? I mean, like here's a here's a Nord. Yeah, see, yeah. But now they've got them where it's like every keyboard you ever dreamed of is built into this thing, and they sound. Pretty much exactly. I did a gig with this Carry band. it under your Hit arm. This. I did a band with a gig. The dude rolled it out. The keyboard rolled up. What? It was just a fucking roll-up thing Come with on. a USB jack. <laughs> oh, so it went into like some kind of Yeah, it was a MIDI controller. Thing. But he just rolled out. So it was like some kind of membranes. So there's like, there's actually no action. <laughs> You're just this, uh, <laughs> Like know. Simmons drum thing. So these guys uh, put them together for the second opera. And uh, then they had kids and stuff they couldn't tour with any, me, anymore. But then lately, their kids are graduating age, so I can play with them And again. I know she put out a couple of singles and a couple of splits lately, with like the last Playing with them a lot. two, three years. Yeah, that's right. And there's, that, one, there's a brand new one out this year, I think. That's right. In fact, one's, that's right. Uh, actually, with Bob Lee, the Bob Lee Men, it's called, because it was his notion, hey, you've played with all these guys, what? Tom Watson, Pete Mazich, me. But not together, so why don't you do that? And then I thought about his name, Bob Lee. Well, say it quick, Bob Lee, Bobbleheads. <laughs> so that's, and we, what we did was, is what I'm going to be playing tonight at the show. Songs I wrote for D. Boone and George 35, 36 years ago. 
really strange coming through a Leslie in Old Hammond B3. Sure. But also strange for their day. Now, Dee Boone and Georgie, they wrote the better songs. But if you look back, and I guess that's what we're trying to do, is kind of look back on my music journey, they are, they are a weird thing. Like you were asking me about playing with different people. You know, when the big change there is, is at, you're right, it's after Firehose. Because Firehose is kind of like Minuteman. The tour, and we did 20 tours in seven years. With the Minutemen? Firehose. Firehose did 20. Minutemen didn't even get to seven years. We only no, get to six years. We only get to five years and okay, 11 months. Okay, Even though I played with them since I was 12. Sure, sure. But I, I didn't get to... Uh, and um, also, that's where we learned the touring from Black Flag. We had developed it down to our own thing by Firehose. Edward, you know, I didn't know you had to pay money to keep your name out of the phone book. So he called me up from Ohio. I'm coming over. I said, what? This guy with bleached hair, and he's into REM and U2. <laughs> I just thought he was so brave to do that. And one of the first gigs was uh, opening for Fishbone at the Roxy here. It's kind of full circle. So what happened was after that. I remember bringing Edward Pissbottle Man. He goes, Michael, is this the, you think this band should really be playing this song? And that's where I thought, well, maybe I should try the proj. I did try for the first time a side thing in 85 called Dose, the two basses. But that's all I ever really did. So after that, I thought, okay, I'll make a band for every proj. And I make this record. Well, it's called a solo record, but there's 48 other dudes. <laughs> well, some ladies do. But it, how's it solo? Of, especially well, because you're the concert master. Yeah, so I'm the glue. You're the, you're I'm the, the glue. one thing it up. Well, so what year was... Uh, that's, that's 95, huh? What year was Criminy? That's right, I did that with Paul Rossler. Yeah. That, that was a side proj. Yeah. That's where I play bass. Oh, I don't write any of the songs. I write only one song. That's all Paul Rosser's song. But I learn how to play organ to piano, which already has a bass left hand. <laughs> which he likes to do. He's not a one-handed guy. No, 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 no. DC3, uh, yeah. he actually did the bass for Dezo. Yep. That's right. I never, I, I, I got to, that's important because Criminy is right after D. Boone. And I start playing again. First, I, I do something with Thurston called Chicone Youth, right? Yeah, I and then, that. and then, and Dose, we make that album with Ethan. Actually, we we do it by trading. Remember cassette four track players? Sure. We traded four tracks, and we would record on each other's blank. We made that album like the way people trade files now with the internet. But you were actually sending cassettes back. We were sending cassettes. And hoping they don't go through any kind of like magnet. They did test. sometimes. Oh, <laughs> Some wow. be all raised. Okay. Yeah, that's hardcore. So uh, that's what I'm doing now. But when I do that, that ball hog, that the weird solo record, uh -huh. I thought that was just going to be a record. And me brave enough, well, it was a test, really. I thought if the bass player knew the song, anybody could come in there. <laughs> you got to understand there's an inferiority. I, I, I learned kind of early. Bass was where you could like, put the retarded friend. <laughs> See, I, I never thought that. I thought bass was a, a kind of always the, the coolest spot. In the well, band. I love it's it. Where, but, it's where everything intersects. But I saw the hierarchies. It was more of this power or politics, okay? Like, D. Boone even thought, you know, if I play trebly and give you more room, that's more political than lyrics. Lyrics is just thinking out loud. Sure. That was his position, and I, I was into it. <laughs> you want to make room for me? Actually, we got the idea from R&B guys. You know, the, with the, the Telecaster real right, strangled and the, out and, and clipped, yeah, leaving room. Yeah, you can hear Jamerson. But I gotta say, I could hear the bass players from overseas. They did mix bass loud. Jack Bruce, yeah, uh, John Ann Whistle, the Geezer Butler, even uh, Pete Quaif. Uh, maybe the producers. Yeah, even Tony Visconti on that well, Bowie. I think they had. 
if you read about like Abbey Road and stuff, there's like yeah, Paul McCartney's like this, pretty big. Well, yeah, but there's almost like this like uh, scientist approach where like guys are walking around in lab coats and they're the audio engineers and they're like, and like supposedly someone uh, had left one of the Motown singles on the console at Abbey Road and they played it and they go, get this thing out of here. If McCartney hears it, he'll freak out. What? Why is that bass so loud? Why can't I be like that? And apparently that sort of began to happen. Oh, he goes, wow. We're gonna turn my shit up. What do you? Yeah, do you because think? he did get more and more pronounced. Yeah. So when this happens, uh, this I thought it was just going to come out, and it's weird. You can do this on a record, three different towns, forty-eight different, uh, seventeen different bands, forty-eight people. But Dave Grohl calls me up and wants to do a tour. He says, "Look, I got this new band. I made a record by myself, but I got a band. I want to do gigs." And Ed uh, has got a band with his wife. Where he plays drums. And look, what we'll open up for you, and then we'll be your band. So I kind of do a strange version of that album. And it's really weird. It's a, I stand in the middle. I only have a couple days of practice. I use some material from that record and some stuff I, I did for Georgie and D. Boone, some from, for Edward, some for Kay. I'd, a lot of Firehose came from Dose because I didn't know Edward, you know. But anyway, we do this tour, and uh, the album just came out. It's 21 years I, old. I heard it, and I thought it was really good. But that, after that, that's where I finally get brave enough to start playing... Uh, Pear and Perkins, Peter having, uh, Martin has a health problem. So they asked me to help Porno for Pyro. Mm -hmm. This is the first time I actually do tour with another. Joined another band of all, all new guys. Right. It's very new for me. But if you look back, if I look back, which I usually don't like to do much because it's scary, uh, I see that's the sea change. That's when I begin to really, like you began the spiel with, play with different people porno is, is the line porno. in the sand and then, and then it's right. Jay Maskus and it's then it's all these different bands I start putting together in Pedro different units for just different projects and uh, collaborations and then the internet happens where I can I call it Thunderpants Studio Thunderpants which is a little Pro Tools set up in my pad Okay, so, you so go, people you, you send me files and I play the bass to it I've made whole albums I never even meet, met the dudes well, no, so I read that you played on Kelly Clarkson's record. Now, was that a thing where you went there, or, or like you're talking no, about, they no, sent no, you the No, 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 they tracks? brought me to, what's it called, Village Recorder? What's this place in Santa Monica? Yeah, that's Village. The Village? Yeah. The Steely Dan. And yeah, the, yeah, Fleetwood Mac, all, the, all, all those guys. <laughs> they brought me in there, and they had me play on six songs. They were very cool. I, didn't, I had no idea. The producer man was David Conn, and he said, he, he, you want to do this what? And she she won a, a game show. She turned out to be really uh, cool people. She... Didn't have any big posse. She told me she learned to sing in church, and uh, her mom was a waitress. And did you learn the songs on the spot? Like you just showed they, up. They, now, now this is scary about that kind of work, and I gotta have a lot of respect for these session guys who do that for their main thing. Yeah, you gotta come in there. The song's done. You gotta learn it. You gotta come up with a part, and then you gotta perform it. Oh, and everybody's got their arms folded, you know, well, looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> and you're sitting a pecan log. <laughs> oh man! I mean, I think it's good to do. Just to, life should have some challenges, but man, to do that a hundred percent of the time would really scare me. Uh, but you obviously read music, though. Yeah, not not quick. I can do it though. We all stumbled through the uh, hallucinations <laughs> symphony number no. thirteen with Glenn. That's Bonk. right. That was and I uh, sat right next to the drummer, uh, Virgil. Virgil. And I had my eyes on John, uh, the conductor man. You had to he keep counted going. out every fucking well, bar. For people who don't know, Glenn Bronco wrote this uh, symphony for 
80 guitars and 20 bass players all broken up into groups of five. So the thing literally had 20 parts and it, they didn't... Four movements. Yeah. Symphony number 13. Yeah, so there's 20 parts going at any given yeah. time and they don't necessarily coincide in a way that you would be used to and it, it took i remember we were all meeting out at this house just the bass players trying to sort this thing out and scratching our heads going what is well we on? had things like flatted twos on a bass yeah <laughs> well the weirdest part I, for me was like finally it was like unlocking the mystery was that the whole because of the guy conducting yeah. it and keeping everyone John together Meyer. He had they did the whole score four four all the way down the line, but there it wasn't in four no. four it was sevens and fives, and it would just go over the bar That's lines, and you had Virgil. to kind of decode it. <laughs> it's right next to Virgil because man, he was the heartbeat. We were actually taking it and like, okay, when we get to this part, it, I think it was me. I, I will count the seven. I will count to seven for everybody, and you guys just yeah. make sure you're you hollering my, out the bar numbers. My mnemonic device for that was Taco Taco Burrito. Yeah. For seven. Taco, taco, burrito. Taco, taco. I, I learned that for Balkans music, too. These, You know, these guys grow up playing this stuff. It's natural to them, man. For me, it's like, oh, man. And uh, it was interesting, that piece. And we did it at the Disney yeah. Exploding French Fry organ. Yeah, that was an amazing. amazing <laughs> my mom night. went. Yeah. My mom saw it with my, my sister brought her. I was I felt very honored to be part of that piece. Yeah, it was I mean it was a great experience. Uh, the only downside of it if I had to say one is it's there's never been a recording of it anywhere. Right. And you know, I found this was a little something I found out is that no matter what it is, Disney Hall records everything. If it's in their breathing, it gets recorded. So there is a recording. They of it. have it. But how come no one can hear it? What's the deal? Yeah. Cuz he did it all over the place, right? Maybe 15 He's done times. it I think in Paris and uh -huh. London and maybe Somebody told me like 15 times it was done. Oh, I didn't know that many. Yeah. Well, what an undertaking. But you know, oh, yeah. Cuz you have to find another 100 people to like I mean, well, his wife Reg Blur, she's the one that got a hold of me cuz they were having trouble finding guitar men. It was supposed to have 100 guitars. Well, I think they did have a hundred guitars the very first day, okay. and there was like a, there were. I don't think any of the bass players quit, so hats no. off to bass players. We had twenty, four 20, groups of five. Yeah, but and I we think, got to stay in. For, uh, tuning I think in there forts. was around ten guitar players. Didn't that the fell guitar the guys team. have all B's or some shit? Yeah, they had to tune all to one string. And oh yeah, there were some like that. <laughs> I mean, you just play like you know yeah. a bar. Richie Haven. Yeah, you know he did the yeah. twelve string. With the However you simplify. So, uh, speaking of weird-ass yeah. music, uh, I was reading about um, some sort of like indie rock J Japanese stuff that you're doing. Oh, yeah, I with, did. Uh, no, what's, that's something I was trying to find online to give a listen to. And I it's called Brother, it Sister's Daughter. There's yeah. an album. I actually recorded four albums, but one's been released. So, is that just got released recently? Last year it did. Okay. And then I made a record called Spielgusher with some of those musicians, two of them, Yuko Araki and uh, Mr. Shimmy. To back up Richard Meltzer in 48 of his poems. Do you know Richard Meltzer? Yeah, yeah. Was going to collaborate with the Minuteman. He wrote his 10 poems and he was going to sing and play sax. And in fact, I gave a copy of the lyrics to D. Boone on his last drive. He was sick with fever in the back. He wasn't driving. Uh, please think of some music, D. Boone. When you come back from this little trip, we're going to you know, get to record with. Richard Meltzer was a huge. Remember when you sent in for the lyrics? Right, and they came he in on the computer as well. Yeah. Didn't he did that? But so he was always kind of at the edge. Kind he of also like had a radio show on KPPC, was it? KPFK. It was KPFK. called KPFK. Hepcats from Hell. Johnny Rotten was on there, and John Cale, and 
you know, the you bags. You ever make it through his book? So, which the one? aesthetics <laughs> of rock. I was like, "What is he talking about?" Well, he kind of invented rock, right? It, it is. I it's, see him every tour. I just, I just saw him in Portland. He uh, just survived a hope on the heart transplant. Is he doing all right? Yeah, he is. Okay, good. He said it felt like tons of bricks on his chest. Sure, sucked yeah, hard. Yeah. He says he wants just to do nothing now and get and heal up and rest. But he was huge hero to us from the Blue Oyster Cult lyric. He yep. wrote "Stairway of the Stars" and she's as beautiful as a foot. And, uh, you know, later on, Burning for You. But um, he, he wrote some incredible tunes, KG Cretans. Uh, anyway, uh, we got to collaborate with him, and then we couldn't, right? The band's over. But then in the early 2000s, he goes and does 38 more poems and sends me a CD with 48 poems, maybe 2004. And I put those to music with some people from Tokyo. In three days, we made 65 pieces of music, and that's called Spielgusher. And then uh, I've worked with some other cats too. Yeah, they have a they have kind of difficult scene. It's hard to be a musician over there. You have to. Well, that's changed a lot though in the years. Because a fellow I know. Well, it's still live house. You have to rent out the place, pay to play. Practice oh. pads cost a buttload. The pads you live in. I mean, he made his pad into a little studio. I mean, you know, his whole pad is this room. Okay. I mean, so is he in Tokyo where everyone's all crammed together? That's, That's right. a maddening city. Yeah. Good child to visit, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and a lot of uh, uh, good uh, ideas and stuff, but the ergonomic, the, the climate, too sweaty, too cold. We're spoiled here in Cali. We, we definitely are. <laughs> we just are. And, you know, I've had the same practice pad 31 years now. It's the old officer's latrine at Fort MacArthur and Pedro. I tore out all the shitters, put a bulkhead hatch, and I, I just take that for granted. And those guys, they got to hustle to keep it. So what, what maybe is, Brooklyn guys too. I, I mean, yeah, anything yeah. with a big urban. Sure, it's yeah. it's a tough one. What what is the music like that these guys are doing in Japan? Well, a lot of it. The, they're into practice. So there, it's there's some technique. You could tell that they're even though they might still be in their twenties or early thirties, they like King Crimson. Okay. They like to practice. They like to get things tight. Then there's a side of them, that's. Uh, really experimental, uh-huh. right? Like Boris. You know, there's a band called sure. Boris. So if it's a little B, it's going to be like Mare's Bow or Crazy. Uh, but if it's a capital B, they're going to be wearing bell bottoms and pretend it's the 70s. Right. Uh, the, the drummer man who's the boss there at Sue was telling me, well, you know, lots of stuff in Japan is imported. So we take things from the outside and then we... We practice. Well, it we seems like it. there was a there was a point in in time where, like, you know, there was the joke: it's big in Japan, or we can go over there, and they they really love, you know, like the power pop bands or whatever it is. And then it seemed like there was a time when it was like, you know what? We just want to listen to our bands now. We've had you guys come over That's forever. Right. We want to we want a home. I saw that in Europe too. Music. I saw that in Europe too. And it, a lot of it was. Um, Bands from here being lazy and just doing the rerun. I love Lucy. You know they'll, they'll love I love Lucy forever. You know, right? <laughs> and uh, and I, I, it's probably a reason dance music got big and stuff. That, instead of trying to keep things going and pushing and pushing, oh, we can satisfy the uh, settle for this, and then oh, the uh, the uh, gift of where we were born will be our passport. To, they'll love us. And uh, it's, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. They, they, you know, and they wore it out. They wore it out, both both in Japan, like you say, and in Europe. I wanted to ask you about uh, Clint Sicily. Wrench. You now have your own label post. Which is what it. me and Dee Boone did 30 years ago, right? right? So I, I went full circle on that. So I, 
how are you are you the label you're dealing with uh, everything that has to be dealt with yeah keep which, things, which rolling? things are so digital and I have a little thing with org music they put out the vinyl things of it but mainly it's 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 watt stuff it's not other that's what the clench wrench I got the little crescent wrench thing in the right here so that's right. supposed to be my fist okay <laughs> well so what, what, what kind of materials out on it what's coming well, up like my third opera with the missing man uh, Tom Watson, Raul Morales, that came out on it. The thing that uh, inspired me, Mr. Bosch here. Uh, it's the Spiel Gusher came out on it. The th uh, the fourth dose record came out on it. Uh, two of the Italian. I have a collaboration. You know, I found out there's three ways to do music now. You can be the rudder man and hey, Raul, Tom, Pete, Jer, will you do this for me? I realize this whole uh, help me realize this thing I came up with. Or 125 months with the Stooges. Obviously, I was not the rudder man more the keel there. I didn't give direction. I learned to take. And then there's the third way, the collaboration, which is kind of going back to D. Boone days, where he writes some songs, I write some songs, Georgie. And that's why I do with these two Italian guys, uh, Andrea Belfi, Stefano Palia, who are 23 years younger. You know, that's a big difference too, Bruce. That didn't happen in the old days. You didn't play with dudes older than you. That's very true. That's gone. That's very And I think that's kind of cool. I think it's cool that there's no problem with me. I mean, their parents would have been mad at me. <laughs> no, and I've done it too in the other direction, play with a guy in his 70s, you know, that was doing kind of like country stuff. That, yeah. And I learned a lot. You yeah. Know? It's not well, like, you know where I first you can always saw that. learn from everybody. Well, you know where I first saw that was when Pettibone was bringing me to see uh, Elvin Jones and Sam Rivers Mr. Ray Brown and stuff, and these old guys, they're playing with young guys. I, I, that's the first time I saw it. And then the next time I experienced it was... Well, I think there's a thing about that where, where like, a lot of these old guys, if they're still around, like a Ray Brown... Well, they couldn't uh, who, pay the guys, And right? who's he going to find that's actually at his level that wants right, to go right. and deal with it? Yeah. You know, probably you could, not too many uh, younger guys like you could tell Ray on, Brown shit, yeah. You know, uh, the Buddy Rich shapes, right? You could tell yes. the frustration. And in fact, Nels Klein met one of those cats who was in from that the band. From the legendary said, bus ride? And he said, oh my God. you know, Nels, uh, we were that lame. We were sucking shit through soda straws. And Buddy was just used to this other thing. But the economics, you know, the things. Remember this pad on Cahuenga by the magazines? Uh, Catalina. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, Elvin, be your gig. Billy Higg or Billy, you know, I'm going to look at you the whole night. Because there's 20 people, right? Yeah. The tables are right. Raymond really, Blind Al Hibbler, uh, Little Jimmy Scott. Then even at the Roosevelt with Ema Sumac and just all these. Raymond knew about all this stuff. Well, where did he get tuned into it? Uh, who knows? He's very, you know. I he, mean, was that like a parent's record collection or something that he just I, I happened wonder, to dive into? I, I have no idea. I do know he got an economics degree at UCLA at 19. I mean, the guy's just... He's deep. Well, the brothers were early, early starters. And and yeah, and the brother Greg, you know, has ham radio. He he teaches us about touring. Make a label. You're talking about Clench Wrench. That's totally from Greg Ginn SST. Well, solid state transmitter, right? Yep. He's talking to people. I think only the Dills had a van. I mean, people really didn't think about touring in the scene, right? Because you were already in Hollywood, <laughs> and that, well, no, I mean, coming from uh, yeah, sure. Riverside, sure. well, we got to go to Hollywood <coughs> if we're going to get anywhere because sure, sure. everybody's there. Right, right. So then you come up here, and then it's you're at every, you know you're on everybody's chain. Like, well, maybe we'll sign you, maybe you'll get money, but those days or are or, over. or a little thing, uh, Canterbury, yeah, or something where you know social 
I mean, that was really the idea of you know putting out your own record or being on a, a little label that a couple of your friends run. That was new. Yeah, even with that England stuff, a lot of those bands. They were on big labels. Or at least, you know, custom think, labels like Cheswick or something like that. I think Class that. was CBS. I think Jam was Polydor. Yeah. Uh, even Stranglers was A&M or something. Yeah, and the Pistols were bouncing around between three right. big labels, getting advances. You know, Trippy, I did a spiel. Remember, maybe he does now an internet one, but Steve Jones had a radio. He had me on there. Oh, he's on he's on KLOS now. He's on the air again. Okay. Yeah, he's guy is great. Uh, at noon. Talk to me for three hours. Had me bring my basement jam, Born on the Bayou, and uh, TVI, and all right now, free. He told me, you know, we should have been more like you guys. He liked that idea of doing it yourself. Now, you know what the deal was with us. You had to. Our yeah. scene was so small. Yeah, and I mean, as great as the Minutemen were, oh, it, prob- no label's going to go, oh, we can sell the this. The Dickies did get know. signed. I think A&M, in fact. That's right. But, nobody but they, else, I think they were seen as like but nobody uh, else, right? West Coast Ramones, and if one could make okay. it, maybe you could do another one. And right away, they sent them to England. Yeah. So I got like, to play with Clem Burke last year doing the whole first Ramones uh, album for uh, Joy Ramones' birthday. And Clem Burke, good He's an good incredible cat. drummer. Good he's cat. very underrated. Really? Yeah. And, and as a dude, as a person. No, he's easy to get along people. with. Yeah. And he, I think he lives in Studio City. He would yep. drive down to Pedro to do the prax. Oh, yeah. He did the whole gig with the leather you jacket. Know, I think the thing is with, yeah. with Clem is, like you, uh, it's more important to him that he's playing and enjoying what he does yeah. than sitting around waiting for something to come up that's okay. going to be... At his level or whatever, if he knows some guys that are getting ready to rock. Then uh, yeah, let's go. He's play. got. He calls it my sideshows, and he's got all these little bands. Yeah, he's pretty inspiring guy. Uh, I like to see that. Yeah, I like to see that. Well, you I know? mean, if you're a musician, that's what it is. You play music. But you see other guys, and they win the lottery, and the last thing they want to do is talk about music. We'll talk about bowling or golfing with you. I, mean, I guess I, I can't I don't talk get about that. bowling or golfing much more. You no, know, it happens. Uh, uh, I'm not really a big fan of that. <laughs> I like uh, Elvin Jones on stage with the oxygen tank. <laughs> and everybody was blaming Keiko, his wife. Look at it. She's making him play. I think he wanted to keep doing gigs. Yeah. Uh, same thing with, we just saw uh, Dick Dale. And right. he is in some seriously bad health. Right, right. And uh, But he's out there jamming and he's talking about it. He goes, well, I got this wrong, I got that wrong. Yeah, right. So if I suddenly am just in a different song, uh, here's why. <laughs> but here we go. You know, and he's like ready to And ready play to trumpet jam. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's in bad shape, but he's when he kicks into gear, he to sounds To me, great. that's really inspiring. Now, look, I can't speak for everyone. I mean, for example, this poet man, Arthur Rimbaud, maybe two, three years, and he was done. Maybe it's that way with some people. Other people, I think, like you were saying earlier, they get bit by the bug. Yeah. Me, well, it was personal thing. I got to be with my friend, but then it was like, you know what? They're going to have to make me quit. <laughs> well, stop. also being a musician, you know, it's like somebody like Rimbaud, okay, he had this epiphany of amazing stuff that he cranked out in three yeah. years. But a musician doesn't necessarily have to be writing music. Oh, yeah. And just be jammed. Like you said, you know, uh, being with the Stooges all that time, right, right. You know, that's or that's ask an a, honor. Ask anybody in a classical orchestra; they yeah. hardly ever compose. Yeah. In fact, a lot of those guys can't even improvise. They play like a motherfucker, but you better have it written for them. One thing I wanted to ask you, since we're touching on the Stooges, uh, as a bass player, yeah, how did it switch up when you went from Ashton to Williamson as uh, your sidekick? Yeah, because 
Because uh, I would think that was... But it was Ronnie's bass parts. Uh, true. I, 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 I already had a good feel for him. I mean, uh, I, I think they are good bass. And Ronnie even said he liked the songs. It was just the, the personal stuff that they didn't. Yeah, I, and I can see that. But he, he definitely... Uh, James Williamson was very kind to me. Very kind to me. And uh, he never put a heaviness on me. And he let me interpret Ronnie's parts. But I, but I tried to keep him. And Ig knew him. Ig knows every note. Even though he's doing that crazy... It's a weird dangling duality with him. He's got this wild thing. And at the same time, he hears every note. And he can tell if it's a little different than Ronnie's. Or Dave. I, t I, t I tried to ask about Dave, but he, Dave was uh, Ronnie's friend. you got to ask him about him. That's what they would say to you? That's what Ig told me. And, uh, but but Ig, uh, really musical cat, like a conductor. Totally the bow of the boat. Well, uh, yeah, and it was always him that would be adding, like, the bells or some, like, weird little clap or just some, something to lot, give lot with the song something different. Well, you know, he comes, his name comes from being a drummer. He right. taught Scotty. Yeah. They, they, man, it really hurt him to lose those guys. I've, I can and only And Brother imagine. Steve, too. I can only imagine. Oh, man. But James Williamson's a little later, but he had respect for him. He gave him, I remember him introducing uh, the band to Yoko Ono. She had us do some meltdown in England, right, a big festival. And he goes to James Williamson. He goes, uh, here's my collaborator, James Williamson. And I told James that after because uh, they, were, they, they, were, they were was getting a little rough there at the end with them, between them. Which was kind of sad because I don't know. I just love Stooges music, you know. We all do, you know. And that other band, the first two albums, it is a different kind of band. Even even though only one guy's different, it's still different. Well, I, an interesting thing. Uh, I don't even remember where I saw this. Was just Iggy was talking about it because, like, with James, it just seemed like here's a guitar player who's determined to fill every little oh, yeah. space oh, of yeah. mu like it's got to have something happening all the time. Whereas uh, Ronnie's not like that no, at not, all. Not at all. Not at all. Also, Wow Wow. James Williamson never played a Wow Wow till no. he did some songs. You know, yeah. That was another trippy thing too. Bruce, I got to tell you, he for thirty years his son wrote an essay called "The Caskets in the Corner." The guitar stayed in the cases for thirty years. So when James Williamson, well, well, he was playing slack key guitar a little or bit, right? But only only a little before. Yeah, because so, he did vacations in Hawaii. He's working for Mr. Sony, something like standards, like USB or some stuff like this. So he doesn't play. So when I'm with him, it's Ig saying, hey, Mike, what about chops? Can every, anybody lose their chops? And I say, well, maybe, but you can work on it and get them back. You know, I, I was panicked when that sickness almost killed when me. You, when you stop practicing right, for well, even half a year, they you put will the tubes in me. They put yeah. the right. I couldn't play bass. It was the first time I stopped since you know when I was boy with D Boone, and man, I couldn't play, and I panicked. And in fact, that's one of the things about the Stooges trip, is that's what I did. Little doll over and over and over. Again. There's not a lot of chord changes, right? But there's a lot of feel. Dave Alexander's parts were actually pretty. Bitching. Ronnie's too. Ronnie's more uh, up in the head. He thinks them out. But yeah, maybe, they're so instinctive when uh, Dave But you know, he them. met him. So great. Oh, yeah. And, and, they're, and for U.S. rock band, they're pretty loud. They are pretty... They, that Funhouse album is mixed so good. I mean, it, could, it sounds like it could have been recorded next week. It does not sound like 1970. John Kill did okay, but 
there's something about Funhouse. Man, that is a good sound. I talked sound. To, to Gallucci about it. I um, Did he change his name after that record? Dude, it's quite a story. So okay. he, was a, uh, he was a staff producer for Electra. He's a keyboard man for the... He played with the Kingsman when he was King. 14. He told me that whole story. He was an amazing interview, one of the best I ever did, but he wouldn't talk to anybody. So when they when they did that uh, uh, Funhouse box set where it's every take, that was uh, they wanted to talk to him. Rhino. It was his idea to like, well, we're going to record you like a jazz band. We're not going to record you like a rock band because that's not really what you are. And so, because like I, I was in doing a piece for New Times, I think, and I got Ronnie on the phone and Steve McKay. And Ryan's, and I go, well, why did you do that? I go, that was Gallucci. I go, well, why'd you do this? Everything, every the answer to every question, oh, that was Gallucci's idea. I go, well, where is he? So no one could find him. And uh, Tony from the adolescents got real interested in this. I was telling him about it. He tracked down Gallucci's mom, who was still in Portland. And I got her on the phone. She goes, well, he won't talk to you. He hates the music business. He hates the whole thing. He got into realty? He was a realtor, and he was a millionaire. He was very successful Beverly Hills realtor with a different name and the whole bit. And I go, but I'll give, I'll give him this number and tell him that you're trying to do this. And he called me up, and he wouldn't tell me what his new name. I, no, wait, he did. I don't remember it, actually. But he told me his new name, and he was in real estate and all this stuff. And uh, I guess it was some other projects for Electra that he had been involved with. It might have even been Tom Waits. And he just felt he'd been burned over and over and no one gave him any respect and he had enough okay. and left. But, uh, but the it wasn't the Funhouse album. Because I heard it was the Funhouse album. Uh, no, I don't think so. He, okay. His memory of that seemed like he really had a good time doing it. Man, it's such a good sounding record. Cause, but the, the funny part is that uh, I guess it was one of the very, very first records they made at Electra's owned, like Electra had become big enough to, now we have a studio. Yeah. And it was over on uh, La Cienega. And, but all the other stuff they were putting out was like, you know, Judy Collins or something, you know, where it's a really close mic and you're intimately hearing someone's acoustic guitar and their voice like this, like super plain. And he went in there, well, this isn't going to work because everything was all paid. And he said, we got to take all this padding down. We got to put up, everything's got to be open. And we'll listen. And then Iggy goes, well, I'm nervous about this. Can we, uh, can I sing through a PA? Like, yeah. sure. Like we'll mic that up, too. And so that's why it sounds like yeah, it's so like out of control. Yeah. It's great. And, but, you know, I got to say, Raw Power's its own thing, too. And, you know, they tried out guys over there. And it couldn't, couldn't get So it they called work. the Ashton Brothers. Now, the mix is a trip. But in a way, it's got its own thing. It is so strange. It, it couldn't be anything else. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like somewhere along the line, I heard a mix that Ronnie did. Have you ever heard this? No. And you hear the bass. Wow. And it sounds great. But it's not like the 90s mix, right? No. I Well, I don't know when it was done. No, but... But it, it, it was... I it think was it was Bruce, around Bruce as a bootleg. Dickinson? Or? Well, the... Dickinson? Uh, uh, the other mix I heard was the one Iggy did, which with, is... With Bruce... Uh, I don't remember the guy's name. No, Bruce Dickinson's a singer for Iron Maiden. It wasn't him. No. D d d d there's a uh, producer guy from a Memphis, New Orleans... Oh... I know who you mean, but I don't. I don't think that was it. It was someone, whoever it was. It was just Iggy going, no, nope, louder, Dickinson, louder, <laughs> and then the hard, uh, the hard wall, yeah. uh, limiting. Yeah. yeah, it's just too much. It's too much. Uh, but what, what, what can you say? I mean, those guys. I don't know if we would have had a movement without Stooges. You know, they, them, Captain Beefheart. There was people already doing this music, 
actually it was about us in the 70s finding out being with those guys 125 months and finally the youngest guy in the band huh there was a garage band scene in the 60s there was little labels there was well, there there clubs, were, lo- there was there were all local this. labels. It was yeah. more like some, they, there's a scene what happens. We'll Arena Rock stuff. just dissolved all that. Yeah, that's kind of thir- that was the beginning of. I'm 13 rock. in 1970, yeah. you know, so I don't know any of that. So in a way, the the punk movement for me is kind of finding out stuff that they went through. Wasn't sure. that wasn't that much different? It was trippy to f- find that out. Now they were doing things like playing frat parties because Ann Arbor is actually a college town. It's 40 miles west of Detroit. But there was Grandy Ballroom gigs and stuff like that. Uh, but they weren't really Detroit, man. And in fact, the MC5 ends up moving there. Uh, Ig has huge respect for them, MC5 guys. Yeah. Uh, all those, you know, I never had uh, D. Boone, Georgie, me, we're all the oldest in our families. I never had older brother thing. Oh, so you didn't have those records laying around like... No, no, I got it. I was I only got a kid, it. so I didn't either. I, I went and got the record because I read about it in Cream. In fact, I got Funhouse before the first album. And man, everybody at high school hated it. Yeah, I'm trying... They all liked Jimmy and Santana. Yeah. And, and then nothing, nothing wrong with those guys and stuff, but man, they were not into this. It just seemed like... Grand I, Funk was really huge. I did not like Grand I Funk. think there were some people like in every school, and I had a friend of mine that was like this. It was like sort of like the wannabe delinquent driving around smoking pot and stuff. And I'm like, what do you listen to? You got to hear... And the two things you turned me on to were Back in the USA and Funhouse. You had both of them. Like, back in the USA. Where? So I've strange. seen these in the store, I think, yeah. but you actually bought them. All right. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, this is pretty good. But it wasn't like really what weird. you were listening to No, 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 not at all. But, I mean, those guys, Lester Bangs, Richard Meltzer, they had a way of writing about things. Uh, Greg Turner, even Metal Mike started there. They had a way. Let me hurt your feelings. Because yeah. there was a time I had a Rolling Stone subscription, and uh, Lester Bangs was someone, if he said it was good, I had a pretty good notion I was going to dig it. So he wrote a review of the first, and I know you love this, the first Blue Oyster Cult record. And it said, the final paragraph said something about uh, better than Masters of Reality, but not as good as Killer. And I'm like, well, shit, I love both those. <laughs> yeah, I went I like straight to the too. store. And I came back, I go, wait a minute, this isn't what I was thinking it was going to, because the sound was that kind of thinner sound. I, w- I was going to say, I, no, you're not hurt my feelings, because it's the same thing with BOC. I don't get the first album first. I get Tyranny Mutation Which first. Which is pretty cool. That sound is great. Yeah. And then when I heard the first album, and plus I'd seen gigs. They would start the gigs out with Stairway to the Stars. The one on that first album, man, it's kind of nano-flaccid. Like, yeah, and like the, uh, the real tinny Somebody drums. Told, Albert told me it was recorded over here. Is that the, no, was it CBS? It, you know, it was probably some situation where some guy was Very assigned the band yeah. and do, you know, make it sound Very controlled situation. But I tell you, the second one is pretty wild. You can hear him talking off mic and stuff, and there's toilet bowl flushing. And it's just mo- more wild ass. Uh, they took the last lick of I'm on the sheep, but I ain't, I'm on the lamb, but I ain't no sheep, and they called it the Red Was and the Black. Was that essentially your first favorite band? Uh, no, when I met D. Boone, the first record I bought was American Woman 45. You used to get them at the uh, drugstore records singles okay and it was american woman by the guess who this canadian band when i met d boone the only rock band he knew was credence so he's got all six of the records 
I don't call, count Mardi Gras as crazy, you know. But was but he playing guitar to, to him? He'd already. Yeah, yeah, him. of course. His mom played guitar, so she's got him. This guy named Roy Mendez Lopez. He lives in his car, and he, of course, we want to learn how to copy songs off records. And he said, "No, man, you want to? No, that's what we want. We're boys, you know." And so he taught us how to. I couldn't hear the bass on the. And well, for one thing, D Boone didn't use record covers. You know, they're on the floor, hardwood floor with the grape juice and the the stereos are these little plastic things. Right, you got to put six quarters to keep it from skipping. Right, right. So I just thought, well, I can't tell what this guy. I can hear Stu Cook now. Pretty good parts, actually. Great drummer, Doug Clifford. Yeah, definitely a good rhythm But I um, wear the singer shirts. That's how I got into flannels. Maybe D Boone will still like me if I wear the singer shirts. You know, like I said, I was Navy housing. I didn't know what lumberjacks and farmers wore shit. I thought that was his kind of rock and roll shirt. You know, the first gig we went to was T Rex at Long Beach Auditorium. Oh, that's cool. And he had a boa. Yeah. So I thought that this was John Fogarty's boa. <laughs> These plaid shirts. See, that's what you guys should have done boas and flannel. <laughs> You'd have been way ahead. Well, you know, uh, by the time he gets to. Uh, Cosmos Factory, it's leather pants and flannel and uh, pink neckerchief. Yeah, well, so, we it, all go it, through changes. <laughs> and Doug Clifford, I think, is in like a he's on a bicycle with the tracksuit. That's on. right. Yeah. I, I remember looking at that. Going, I, I heard I don't that, know what that's about. I, well, I read that Cosmo was the, uh, Doug Clifford's nickname, and that was his practice pad. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, I I wasn't on board for the tracksuit. <laughs> board for that. The whole thing was trippy about them. Uh, very Northwest Bayou, right? El Cerrito or something. Yeah, I mean, like they made up a whole mythology just oh, based the whole on thing. But stuff they'd read. That's really. what music's about. Yeah. And, and no, and even Boynin, because Colin Wolf did it. Yeah. But Captain Beefheart, I mean, I think, I know there's this thing, keep it real, but isn't art in a way to transcend? I can imagine the guy with his buddy, the first cave painting. What do you see there? Well, yeah, it's chromium oxide. No, man, that's a buffalo. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, I mean... You, it's a horse. <laughs> it's, I, I've heard a lot of people say, you, you know, yeah, it's about me, but I'm also creating stuff, too, and writing stories, and there's fiction You're in it, You're trying to too. get out of reality. Yeah, you wanna, you know. It's not about keeping it real. It's kind of about pretending. Yeah. So whatever you can get away from. That's what we first got into, was Creedence. Where we start learning licks is the BOC. Also, i got to say Black Sabbath, uh, too. There was licks where, you know... They're kind of statements, so I don't have to. Well, that's an interesting well, I, to catch on to because the guitar is playing a repeated riff. Which yeah, is over, right. The bass doesn't necessarily do that. No, I, but I couldn't hear, so I'm ba basically copying guitar for so a little while. You needed while. to get a good stereo back yeah. back in that days. or or some headphones or something. or a Sly and Motel with Jamerson because yeah. I can actually hear the bass yeah. and also those England records, man. You could hear bass on a Who record. Yep, that's true. You know, you could. Sound like Maybe a Black Sabbath, not as much. Maybe by volume four. I mean, there's some good bass on that yeah. one. But, yeah, I don't like a motorcycle. <laughs> Live at Leeds? Yeah. Wow. Oh, a crossro uh, Crossroads. It's a uh, Wheels, wheels of Fire. Cream. And one is Live. Yeah. And Jack Bruce rolls Eric Clapton with that Robert Johnson song. I mean, and they mixed it stereo, too. You can hear yeah, and, just like he's here, and, and you no can one does it. that anymore. So yeah. that's where we come from. Yeah. And then we see the bags, and we see the, the movement. It's like, no, music can also be about expression. You might have something inside you want to get out. It seems like that's what these people are doing. They're learning in front of people. They ain't afraid. 
I don't. I remember when we saw that gig. I looked at D Boone, and it came out of my mouth. No, no thinking. We can do this. Yeah, I think that I think a lot of people had that kind of, uh, you know. Uh, awakening when you see and that's the difference between going back to arena rock when you're standing and they're right there and you can see that it's they're holding a guitar you could get down the street and they're you know isn't that combing their hair like you like well yeah we're we really lucky do that we're really lucky we're pl playing we're copying songs with a friend of ours mark weiswasser they're closing down the army base now it's a marina but they hadn't dug it out we come out for a breather we're doing tie your mother down and uh, you know dust in the wind and whatever and I come out for a breather, and who comes walking by? Nicky B. He's a Pedro guy who is oh, drumming right. for the, uh, the weirdos. weirdos. And he says, get this, he tells us, you know what? He must have heard us trying to copy these songs and shit. He says, there's a scene up in Hollywood where people write their own songs. <laughs> I know that sounds naive now, but man, no one we knew in Pedro did that. You know, The best guy on guitar was the guy, best guy, uh, guy who could play Black Dog the best, sure. of course. No one used it for expression. So we went up and we saw that gig and we were just hooked, man. We were hooked. It was like, and then also meeting the people. The people were gigs. They were deep, like I said, with the knowledge, uh, with the, the fake names, the funny clothes. I mean, you never saw any of this balls like church bells to do this shit. <laughs> it, it, it just, it, we, were, we were smitten. It just blew yeah. us away. It, it was like, we had waited our whole life for this to happen. Well, we're glad it did so that we got this mountain of music from you. Well, I got to say, I owe, and it's one reason why I do my radio show. I try to, because I play, I don't play any merch shit. I play stuff that people give me after gigs. And it's me trying to repay the debt. They let us come up there and let our freak flag fly. Now, do you do, you do your podcast in, in your own home studio, sort of like we're doing Yeah, sometimes. Okay, good. Sometimes I do it with Brother Matt, uh, in but you Pedro. do it face-to-face -face as opposed to a Skype thing. Sometimes, yeah, but if the dudes ain't in right, Pedro. So but sometimes dudes come to okay. Pedro. Okay. They make the hell ride. All right. But maybe not the dude in Finland. Yeah, I get you. Or the dude. <laughs> I get you. Well, we're going to wrap it up because okay. I know you got to get back and uh, right. lay down for the people. Knock That's them right. out of there. I'm going to see it. It's going to be great. Oh, you coming? Oh, okay. absolutely. We're going to have Petra on the last three. Charlie Hayden's daughter. Oh, I love Petra. Yeah. That'll be great. She's been playing with all kinds of cats. Yes, yeah, she And has. now she's going to do three songs with us, which are the only covers. Don't spoil it for me, then. Uh, and she's never played them with us. So So she might spoil it anyway. All right. Well, whatever. We're going to no. let the, 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 the dice roll. Let We're it gonna, we'll roll the dice. All right. Uh, you, you, I have to interrupt so you can say your uh, Lux interior story, please, Lux. since we have a cat named Lux. Love Lux. They went on before us in the... Victoria Gastia is a, a bass part of Spain. It was the first time in Europe. Stooges only played overseas once. It's those pictures on the Raw Power record. Mick Rock took them. And uh, so the first time... is So when you went back with them, that was the first time? Oh, my God. Right. And the I first gig is with the Cramps playing, opening up. And Lux broke a vodka, you know, what, what do we call them? Half gallons, one three-quarter liter uh, over his head. And... He lived to tell. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe it. And then when it was our turn to play, him and Ivy stage starboard watching the whole. Oh, I'm sure of that. The whole, they, every tune, every note. It was. It was. And they were was, super fans as much as anything else. They were, and I think that's that was the thing about the movement, man. A lot of those cats involved just were. Yeah, they were super fans. Yeah. 
Well, Mike, thank you so much. Say goodbye to the people out there goodbye, in bizarre land. And we will see you, uh, see you later tonight. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to The Tone Duff Sessions, a feature of Rare Bird Radio. Join us next time when we have punk rock pioneer Keith Morris, author of My Damage.